Go beyond the superficial. Go beyond the noise. And Hype delivers business knowledge gained from developing and manufacturing hundreds of products, working with high-growth entrepreneurs from all over the world. Focus skills and passion into innovative ideas. Take control. Transform product ideas into business realities. This is And Hype. Transform product ideas into business reality. My name is Callie Keen, and this is End Hype. All right, I'm really excited for this conversation. We've got some interesting things to talk about and then some important things to talk about. So we're going to hear a story from a founder, someone that sold a lot of product online. But then we're going to segue into something that will make it so you can stay in business. So I have one of our partners on here. How's it going? Going great. Thank you so much for having me. What's the story of Nathan? Why are you on and hype? Yeah, so I'm a, a longtime entrepreneur. I've never had a, a quote unquote real job. And I started selling on Amazon when, in, back in 2008, 2009. I was 20 years old in college. I was buying and selling people's textbooks. And one day I got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off and stop competing with their bookstore. And that ended up being one of the best things that, that ever happened to me. I started experimenting with other products to sell, started dropshipping years before I even knew it was called dropshipping and built relationships with hundreds of manufacturers from all over the US who would keep my credit card on file. I'd send orders to them via email and they would send the orders to my customer and I would make the difference between what they charged me and and what I marked it up as. And this business grew, it scaled. I really struggled to hire for a while. I hired college kids were, were just not reliable and Hiring people in the U.S. wasn't a real option. I was 20. No one really took me seriously. And so I started hiring virtual assistants and freelancers. And that led me down a, a whole path of building my VA army, so to speak, to, to run this Amazon business top to bottom. And as Amazon became harder and harder and things changed, I started to lease these VAs and freelancers out to different Amazon sellers that also were struggling to hire. And I had people that already knew Amazon very well. And that became its own brand, its own business called FreeUp, which is a marketplace eventually that connected pre-vetted virtual assistants and freelancers with e-commerce businesses, eventually market agencies and other businesses. But my business partner and I, Connor, he scaled, we scaled this business for four years. We got it to eight figures. We were acquired by one of our clients at the end of 2019, which is a whole other story we can dive into if you want. And since then, we've been working on two ventures. One, Outsource School, which is our, our hiring our hiring course, our hiring membership, where we teach people the exact interview, onboarding, training, and managing process that, that we use in our business. And to get away from VAs and freelancers, we launched a monthly bookkeeping service called Ecom Balance, which we've spent the past six months building. We have a rockstar bookkeeping team, a great process that we build. And our goal is to help entrepreneurs really understand their numbers and make really great decisions every single month while also staying out of the books because I'm a firm believer that entrepreneurs shouldn't have to do their own bookkeeping. So that's the uh, short, long version of me going from Amazon to free up to outsource school and, and econ balance. There's a lot there, man. So I'm not going to interrupt you because the story was amazing. And for everybody that's listening, you can remember something that I say very frequently is that action creates opportunity. If you were to predict that path, that wouldn't have happened. But by taking action, you see, I learned this skill. I learned this skill. This led to this. This led to this. And you you can create something massive, but it is you can't even understand what that could be when you start. And the point of what I'm saying is you have to start something. But 
I want to dial this back because for drop shipping, it's really hard right now, especially the I'll buy stuff overseas and put it on Amazon or put it even on a Shopify and run ads to it. It's super competitive. In fact, a lot of the factories are just putting stuff directly on eBay and Amazon right now. There is still some, uh, I'd say, holdover advantage to this is that you have to become a pretty good marketer to do any type of low barrier to entry e-commerce. And so for everybody that's listening, I, I get hit up multiple times a week. People are like, how do, can I start dropshipping? How can I start this? I'm moving people towards more like wholesale and B2B e-com stuff. That's going to be really big in the coming year, really see B2B e-commerce blow up. But if you do get into dropshipping, yeah, it's not like what it was in you know five, seven years ago, but you're going to learn ads. You're going to learn copy. You're going to learn a lot of the skills that you need that you can keep with you forever. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, so I got in 2008, 2009, there wasn't really ads. Like there were no Facebook ads. There was no Amazon PPC. Um, you'd list it on Amazon and stuff would sell and there wasn't that much competition. What we did have to learn is processes because you're dealing with a lot of manufacturers that all have a different process for shipping, for out of stock, for pricing changes. And you needed to be able to update your listings in order to keep your account health safe. And it wasn't until we got to free up that we really learned how to market because up until that point, we had really just depend on Amazon, depending on Amazon to, to drive our traffic. And FreeUp was our first opportunity for us to say, hey, we have our own website. We have our own brand. We have to do SEO. We got to form partnerships and do email blasts and bug blog swaps and get backlinks and worry about our domain ranking and check our traffic for site every single month. So you're absolutely right. You, you kind of take what you learned. I mean, with Amazon, it was a lot of throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. And, and eventually we, we got lucky there, but then we had to learn how to hire, which took us a, a few years. And then we got hiring down and, and we kind of took our hiring skill over to free up. And it was like, all right, we know how to hire. Now we need to learn how to market. And so it, it kind of, you kind of take what you learn, like you said, and move it over and and apply other things. And if you look back and you're like, if you told me when I was 15 that I'd be selling millions of dollars of baby products on Amazon when I was 20, I, I wouldn't have believed you. And if you had told me when I was 22 that that by 26, I'd be running a freelancer marketplace, I, I wouldn't have believed you. I, I thought that I was going to be an Amazon seller forever. So things definitely change and you kind of have to adjust and, and take skill sets and apply them, but, but also learn new skill sets as you go. That's so, that's so cool. Because we, we could do a whole show just on talking about uh, yeah any one of these topics. So I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I have so many questions, but yeah, let's talk about BAs for a second. And I know that you exited out of that, which is a, another great conversation. But so you got into the BA work. Common question that people give me with BAs is, what do I even, what can I even give to a VA? What can I take off my plate? What can I outsource at all? So the answer is everything. So if you think of FreeUp, we're running an eight-figure business with no U.S. employees, no office, no U.S. office, no office in the Philippines, just a team of 30 virtual assistants. Now, this is a marketplace for freelancers. So we had thousands of VAs and freelancers on the marketplace, but I'm talking about my internal team were full-time VAs that handled everything from customer service to sales, to helping do a Q&A for our, our software, uh, quality assurance. Um, they would write blog articles. They would help run our partnership program. Like they were doing everything top to bottom um, in our business. And, and so you can use VAs for everything. Now, if you're someone hiring a VA for the first time, and, and we talked about this in outsource school, I, I don't recommend you hire a VA for the core parts of your business where if those parts of your business fail, then your business is going to fail because that's not a good place to start. You should hire a VA to 
do your emails, to get emails off your plate, to do some cold lead generation, to test it out, use that as an experiment, to, to work on processes in your operations that you already have down, that you already know how they're done. You're not necessarily trying to figure them out. As you get better at hiring VAs and the VAs prove themselves to you and you get better processes, then you could start experimenting. Then you can start getting them on the phone with your customers and stuff like that. But you always want to start small and build your way up. That's a great synopsis of that. This is kind of my experience with it is you can hire someone to do anything. And one of the purposes of Red Bull Collective is that it's an employee-less business. That's the concept. I, I mean, I have another business we have. We have lots of infrastructure. This is a manufacturing business. So we have lots of infrastructure and lots of employees. But the point of Red Blue Collective is I can just partner with anyone. I can just hire VAs or hire freelancers, contractors. The issue with that is not everybody's perfect. And if you've never delegated anything, you probably are not very good at it because delegation and management is a skill. I want there to be a magic easy button but there isn't. So outsource school, it covers a little bit of that is like teaching people how to actually write down what they want to get done, uh, create some basic processes so they can get somebody to do something as it needs to get done. Yeah, absolutely. We, we definitely help you create SOPs. We have a whole section on that. We also keep teach you how to keep people around because that's how the battle. When you find an all-star, you find an A player, you want them to work with your business for years to come. If you're hiring people and replacing them every single year, you're just going to go in circles and your business is not going to go forward. So a big piece of that is using the interview process to find people that not just have the skill, but also have great attitude and communication skills, because those are the people we want to work with onboarding them correctly so that they have the right expectations going in. Half the battle is setting the right expectations and then manage them on a day-to-day basis. How often you talk to them? What are you talking about? How are you giving them bonuses and raises to keep them motivated? And how do you keep them around for the long term? And how do you handle issues that come up? Because not every issue that comes up is, hey, I'm firing this person. A lot of times issues come up that you need to fix, resolve, move people to different roles, some people need to be promoted. Other people need to have expectations reset. Every single situation is different. So that's kind of the piece that goes into it. And we're doing the same thing at Econ Balance. We have a team of U.S. bookkeepers. We have a team of non-U.S. bookkeepers. And a lot of the same concepts we use for our U.S. team because we want to find the skill, attitude, communication people. We want to set good expectations. We want to make sure that they love working here and that we're the favorite job that they've ever had. And we want to keep them around. That's really cool. I want to talk about econ balance for a moment. One, because I use outside bookkeeping for both of my companies. Because in my mind, having a second set of eyes on things is great. It takes something off my plate. That's what somebody does day in and day out. I don't want to be doing that. I want to be selling. I want to be making money. I want to be training people, coaching people, marketing. I want I want to do things that make money or create impact. I, I don't want to do the books. That's right. That's the first thing. But what's the difference between just generic, hey, I go into your QuickBooks or your Zero and do some stuff and what you'd see for an e-commerce business. What makes an e-commerce business differentiated for bookkeeping? Yeah. So e-commerce, first of all, you've got different marketplaces that all have their own fees. They all have different ways that you do that. They give reports and you'd be able to put that information in the books that are accurate. And we use tools like A2X to connect them. The other side of it is cost of goods and inventory and dealing with accrual-based accounting because 
you want to be able to see how much you're making every month, even if you're buying all your inventory up front for the next three months. And there's different ways to do cost of goods averaging so you can really understand your numbers. I think from, from my perspective, we want to take the, the mentality that we're entrepreneurs first. We're not bookkeepers first. We hire great bookkeepers who know e-commerce, who are good at going into QuickBooks and reconciling everything, problem solving, getting the books done on time. But we also want to present the data in a way that our clients can understand it and make decisions off that data. That's been a key for Connor and I for years. Every month, we have a, a monthly finance meeting. We go through our income statement, balance sheet, cash flow, and we see what the trends are telling us. We compare it to the previous month, same month last year. We see how healthy our businesses are. And then we make decisions based on what the numbers are, are telling us. And I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs are not doing that or their bookkeepers are speaking to them in what I consider bookkeeping language and don't give them actual information they can process as an entrepreneur to make those decisions. What a great answer. Because when I jump in, when I do consulting, a lot of what we'll end up doing is look at the numbers. So one of the things that I like to push with people is shortening supply time. So we reduce inventory and then clearing out slow moving inventory so we can free up capital. But people don't understand what the cost of that capital is. They don't understand what their cash flow is. They're just like, I buy this thing for 20 bucks and I sell it for 80 bucks. I'm going to make a bunch of money. And then a couple of years go by and I look and say, hey, man, you've got like almost $3 million in inventory stuck here. You're paying fulfillment fees, warehousing fees, but this is just cash. Like you want to develop a new product, you don't have money for it. We can free up half of this by either fixing your supply chain or by liquidating this inventory. That's the entire development cost of this new product for free. And they're like, well, I never thought of it like that. I just thought, hey, people will buy this you know, over time and it's it's going to be okay. And we need to send another email. But knowing those numbers and we really see it on paper, like, wow, I actually have a million dollars just sitting here that uh, I didn't know I had. Yeah. I mean, inventory is incredibly important. Cash flow projections are important, especially if they're a seasonal business and they need to be able to survive the summer months, for example, and, and keep their people on payroll. You also find in e-commerce that a lot of entrepreneurs are seeing, hey, I made X amount of money this month, but they might have five SKUs and four of them are unprofitable and they're really making money on one and they're wasting a lot of time on the others. Or same thing, a lot of people have shiny object syndrome and they'll open up Amazon Europe or, or something else and they don't realize that, hey, their time really should be focused on what's actually making them money and, and what's actually a good return. So being able to, to segment it out and be in control of cost of goods and, and inventory is incredibly important. Yeah, you just slid in something that for the seasoned e-com people, they'll know, but summer is slow. This is why in your inbox, everybody's inbox right now, you're probably getting hit by 10%, 20% end of summer deals. You'll see this a lot. This is a difficult, know your numbers thing. Summer tends to be slower, but there's also, I need to collect a bunch of cash and then buy product because we're going to go into the busiest time of the year. So the slowest time of the year is followed by the busiest time of the year. This causes a really difficult equation for people to solve with their money and with their inventory. You really do need somebody like Ecom Balance to say, hey, you need to look at this. You want to buy, you want to buy a million dollars worth of inventory because it takes three months to get it. You need to buy it now, put 50% down. So you have it for November. Great. But what's the impact of that going to be? Do you actually have that kind of money? And the answer for most people is no. That's why you get so many offers for liquidating inventory in the summer. Right. 
No, great, great points. But I mean, it's tough to make those decisions if you don't actually see what the numbers are telling you. Those are the things that I never get questions about that. It's only somebody that's run a business before or they're a few years in where they can see the value for it. When you're going to launch an e-commerce business, it's all about like, this is going to be really cool to make a bunch of money. Everybody's going to love my cool product. You're going to put it on Kickstarter, make a million bucks. You know, I'm like, I don't know. Pebble Watch just went out of business. (laughs) So like they made a million bucks on Kickstarter too. So you got to kind of watch what you're doing. But yeah, it really does come down to the finer details. It's like, I mean, everything that you're doing right now, it's really impressive. So I want people to research a little bit more, but delegating, getting things off your plate, putting systems and processes in place. So you have elasticity in your time and your ability to grow, knowing your numbers. So you have the cash to actually invest in yourself, understanding what it looks like to do that type of financial planning. If you're not doing the bookkeeping, you can't do financial planning. This is the definitely not big issue that people have is they're doing entrepreneur math. Yeah. Making decisions by the gut. And, and it's kind of the, the two unsexy parts of business, right? Hiring and bookkeeping. When you go to business school, they're, they're not teaching that. And Most people like to focus on the marketing or the launching a brand or whatever. But at the end of the day, if you can't hire well, and if you are not on top of your finances, if you can't make good financial decisions every single month, it's tough to scale. And most businesses fail because they they hired the wrong people or because they don't understand their numbers or where their their finances are in bad shape. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, yeah. Tell me, tell me what I, I know everybody's going to, they're going to ping me about this. They're going to want to know what did that acquisition process look like? I know you can't share all the nitty gritty details and all of that, but that's the goal. And I've been really blessed to go through that entire life cycle with somebody from paper through to acquisition It's kind of different for everybody, but what did that process look like and feel like? Yeah. So we didn't go into 2019 being like, Hey, we're going to unload this thing by the end of the year, or we got to sell this thing. We loved free up. We loved our team. We loved the clients. We loved the direction it was going and the momentum it was building up. And at the same time, we, we always listen to stuff that comes to us. So one of our clients reached out to us from the Hoth, Mark Hargrove, David Martin, and they essentially said, we buy a lot of businesses. We, we want to get into the freelancer space. We use free up. We like free up. We don't want to start something from scratch. Would you guys be interested in getting acquired? And we heard them out. We answered a lot of questions on initial phone call. I still remember the initial call like it was yesterday. And one of the things that really helped us is we had immaculate finances going back to day one every single month. And we knew our numbers very, very well. So on that call, when they asked questions, we knew every little thing and we were able to tell them, even though we didn't have the books in front of us. And I'm not talking about every little minute detail, but we knew what our margins were. We knew how many clients we had and the breakdown and a lot of our KPIs and our revenue and fixed price compared to hourly billing, stuff like that. So we, we were able to provide that information that they ended up coming back to us with an offer. And from there, it was a, a tough decision. Like I said, we loved our team. We, we didn't want to hurt anyone or, or screw anyone over. And um, we wanted to make sure FreeUp was in good hands to go forward. We did a, a lot of due diligence on them. <laughs> I think we asked just as many questions about them as they did to us. And that's my number one my number one tip to anyone going to sell your business. Sell to someone that you like. Sell to someone that you have the same values at. Because the last thing you want to do is fight over money later or end up in court or be dealing with someone that you hate that you're trying to get an earnout from or whatever the situation is. Um, so we did a lot of due diligence on them and we ended up agreeing to the, the offer. And 
with a, a lot of factors in mind. I mean, we negotiated a, a large bonus for our team. We liked their plans of where FreeUp was going. We knew that, like there are other factors like, hey, could we take this $12 million a year business and get it to 25? Maybe, but that could also fail. And we could have been happy that we we took the offer. Also, a lot of things would have had to change structurally in the business in order to get it to 25 or 50 million. And they had a lot more experience than us growing a business for, from that point. We've grown a bunch of companies from zero to one, zero to five, zero to 10, but getting to 25, that's a, a whole different animal. So that was factored in. This is pre-pandemic. So at the time, the economy was at an all-time high. So part of us is thinking, hey, maybe maybe it is a solid time to, to sell. So a lot of factors, and I can't name all of them, but we ended up making the decision and passed due diligence, asked them a lot during due diligence. And then from there, like it was the lawyers. <laughs> and that was the most stressful part. And it wasn't their fault. It wasn't our fault. We, we all wanted the same thing. But for us, it's the biggest moment of our life. For the lawyers, it's just another Tuesday where they're, they're going through deals. So they're taking their time. They go on vacation. They're going through every little um, I and crossing the T and, and all of that. And and finally, we were able to get a deal done. I, I was in Orlando at the time. I drove down to Tampa. My business partner flew in. We met them in their office and, and signed the paperwork and informed our team, which was incredibly emotional. And uh, it was a, a long six months, probably the most stressful six months of my life. That sounds like the template situation, probably the best version of, hey, this went well that I've heard. Because it, it is a stressful process. Yeah. I would say you probably avoided one of the most common issues that people do have, though, is that they're so ingrained in their business that they have forever to earn out and they have a lot of problems because they don't have systems processes. For product businesses, one of the most common things is that they actually manufacture their product or they, they do their own fulfillment. No investor wants that. They want to consolidate back-end operations. And then it's really hard to extract that out. So it takes forever to say, move move manufacturing over to here. You don't have documentation for almost anything that you're doing, including your product. Uh, you're doing fulfillment manually, not through a fulfillment company. So we can't scale that. You go through a lot of these issues and there's some bumpy pieces, but you, you at least, you were a freelancing company. So I'm assuming that you are already using people other than yourself for a lot of the business. So you didn't have a marketability penalty or anything like that where the your owner operator businesses are they're hard to sell so yeah i mean we had great internal operations and, and processes the brand was definitely revolved around me but i think one thing that we learned is it's very easy to replace someone who's the face of the brand with just a different marketing team with a different strategy as long as the operations and the business model is sound you made some great points so the entire 6 months my business partner and i were just kept reminding each other like Stay focused. This deal could fall through at any minute. We need to make sure that we're continuing to grow this business. And it was hard. There are days where it felt like we were closed, and other days it felt like the deal was going to fall through. And 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 meanwhile, we have this company to run and people depending on us and clients depending on us. And the last, the thing that we're most proud of is the last month that we were in business was our best month ever for all four years because we stayed focused on growing it and imagine the deal is going to fall through. Now, when you sign the deal, you're crossing your fingers. We think that we did the due diligence, but we're hoping that they honor their word on, on everything that they said. And, and luckily, like two years later, like they've been great. They honored every single thing they said. Our team's still there. Not that we agree with every single decision that they make, because that's impossible. But for the most part, they, they've done everything they should. And Connor and I couldn't have been happier, not only that we sold it, but who we sold it to. So it really did work out across the board. Now that we necessarily knew that the whole time, obviously we're hoping it, but our due diligence was a big part of it. 
That's a phenomenal story. So I, I really like this. Everybody that's listening, I hope you're taking notes on this because you really should be building a business with the intent to sell it. Even if you're not going to sell it and you have a family business like my family, I have my own business. You need to operate with intent. It's going to take a lot of stress out of your life either way. It's going to allow you to grow and scale more easily. It's going to allow you to work with somebody like Outsource School to bring people on. If you know how to do the tasks that you do every day, it's shocking to me to see people that run, literally they run eight-figure businesses and their strategy for handling most things like, hey, here's how we do marketing campaigns. We do it. That's like, you're incredible, but you're literally operating with, with sandbags. You know, you would be, you'd be a, be a nine-figure business if you just took a second and say, I guess I'm naturally good at this. What do I actually do? Like, how can I get somebody to help me do it? Yeah, you got to get the information out of your head at uh, documentation. This is a great conversation. I appreciate your time, man. I'll let you get back to it. We'll be pushing this out, but I'm going to put all of your links in the description. Appreciate it. I want everyone to check out what you're doing. And then for the membership community and hype movement, Ecom Balance is one of our partners. So you can see right there on the, the website, when you go into the community, we'll be putting out some information on how to connect and get your books done specifically for e-commerce businesses. So take a little bit of the wonder off your plate, a little bit of the stress off your plate. You and I should be working on growing your sales, <laughs> creating great products, right? You should know your numbers, but you should let Nathan's team do them. Appreciate it. Also two free months. If anyone mentions this podcast, two free months of bookkeeping to start us out. We're, we're definitely still a startup where we're six, seven months in. I don't know when people are listening to this, but that's where we are now and we're filming. So we're looking for feedback. We want to make this the perfect bookkeeping process. So Two free months are on me and definitely check out Outsource School if you're interested in improving your processes and hiring. Oh, that's awesome. All right, man. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. My name is Callie Keen and this has been End Hype.